Lord God, may our hearts burn with passion for you and for your glory. As we sung to you this morning, you are our exceeding joy and delight. You are the joy of the world. You are the King of kings. You are the only one worthy to be crowned. You are Lord. You're the light of the world. In you there is no, no darkness. And Lord, thank you that you still speak to us today through your holy word. Lord God, you're always in control. You're on the throne, even when life seems completely out of control. You're good in all things, even when things don't seem or don't feel good. And Father, if we doubt your goodness, all we have to do is look at the cross, where we see your great love on display as Jesus died for the sins of the world. Lord God, you're holy. You're set apart from your creation as you are the creator. And you're set apart in your holiness and purity. Lord, your love is always perfect. Your word says for those of us in Christ that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, thank you for your perfect love that casts out all fears we trust in it. And Lord, you are always more than enough. People, places, and things never are, but you are always more than enough. And Lord, thank you for the person and work of Jesus. Thank you that the eternal Son of God came to earth, took upon a human nature, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, was bodily raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is one day coming back. And we can't wait for that day. Lord, as we now turn to the preaching of your word, oh Lord, would you please speak to us? To those of us who are in Christ, would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit working by and with your word, would you encourage us? Would you comfort us? Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? And Lord, for those here today who don't know you, Father, would your spirit work in them? Would you give them life? Would you grant them repentance and faith? And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning and uh, happy New Year's Eve morning. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day is a very special, special time for me. For it was 28 years ago when I had everything that I ever wanted in life, and yet I was empty, and life didn't make any sense. And so walking home from a New Year's Eve party, I cried out to God, and I said, would you please show yourself to me, God? And within a few days, I was reading the Bible every day, and I was not a person who read anything, maybe the sports page, but probably then just the box score. Never read anything except what I had to read for school. But I was reading in the Gospel of John in the New Testament, and the light bulb clicked on. And I was convinced then and am still today that Jesus is God. He's truly God and truly man. I was convinced then, and I'm convinced today that he died on the cross for my sins. And I was convinced then, and I am still today, that he was bodily and gloriously raised from the dead. So I gave my life to Christ. 
Life hasn't been perfect for the last 28 years, but it's been an awesome, awesome, wonderful relationship with Christ. The title of today's sermon is Bible and Life. Bible and Life. For those of us in Christ, we should never think about our life apart from the Bible. And we should never think about the Bible apart from our life. The Bible says to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought we have about life should flow with what the Bible teaches about life. Life makes absolutely no sense whatsoever apart from what the scriptures teach us about life. God is the source of life. He's the creator of life. He's the sustainer of life. And he's the giver of eternal life to those who are in Christ Jesus. God is the one who tells us what the purpose of life is. And God is the one who tells us what our lives should look like. He's the one who tells us the source of all of our problems. And he gives us all of the answers to our problems. And we find all of this in God's sufficient and authoritative and holy word. The Bible texts we're going to cover today are 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and then Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. I'm going to read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 right now, and then later on we'll look at Ephesians 4. So would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You may be seated. We're going to start this morning by looking at what 2 Timothy 3 has to say about the Bible And then we'll see what it has to say about our our lives. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 16 has much to say about the Bible. The first thing verse 16 says is that all of Scripture, all of the Bible is breathed out by God. God is the source of Scripture. The human authors who wrote the books of the Bible wrote down what God intended them to write down. And the Holy Spirit superintended this process to make sure that was done. Thus, we believe in what is called the inspiration of Scripture. And since the Bible is the breathed out words from our Creator... It is obviously authoritative for all of our life. And I know, I know this should be common sense, but the creator is the one who gets to tell us what our lives should look like, not us, not the creation. All scripture is breathed out by God. The second thing verse 16 says is that all scripture, all of the Bible is profitable. Verse 16 says the Bible is profitable profitable for teaching us, for reproving us, for correcting us, and for training us in righteousness. God is the source of truth because God is the truth. 
As creator, he knows who he is, and he knows who we are. And he knows who we are a lot better than we know ourselves. And as creator, he alone determines what the purpose of life is. And he's told us what the purpose of life is in his authoritative and sufficient word. In verse 16, we clearly see that life makes no sense apart from what the Bible teaches us about life. The Bible, which is from God, the one who gave us life, obviously knows what is best for his creation. In the Bible, God teaches us. He reproves us, he corrects us, and he trains us for what glorifies him and also what is our greatest good. And there's nothing more profitable than that. Nothing. Verse 17 also has much to say about the Bible and life. Look at verses 16 and 17 together again. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Then we come to verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Verse 17 teaches us that God gave the Bible to train us for all of life, that we would be complete, meaning we would be complete and equipped for every good work in life. Verse 17 teaches that the Bible is sufficient, not just for some good works, but for every good work, and all of life is to be a good work. God gave us the Bible, which covers all of life, because He, who is the Creator, knows all of the answers. The Bible gives us the answers for how to be saved, how to be in a right relationship with God, and then for how to live after we are saved. The Bible is sufficient in that it gives us all the answers for all of our sin struggles. The Bible is sufficient in that it gives us all the answers for how to glorify God in our trials and suffering in life. Whether our trials and suffering are just due to living in a fallen, broken world, or our trials and suffering are a result of our own sin, or a result of the sin of others. The Bible is sufficient for teaching us how to live a life of worship. And a life of worship unto God is the sole, entire, whole purpose of life. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do it as an act of worship. The great catechism question, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You may have never thought of it like this, but any help, any help for life's problems that does not point people to God through his word actually dehumanizes people because all people are created in the image of God and God the creator has given us his word. So why would we look anywhere else but to the Bible for help? The Bible equips us for every good work. Here are a few other scriptures that teach the sufficiency of God's word for life. John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The Bible is truth. 
and it's sufficient for sanctification for our becoming more like Christ, which includes every area of life. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And what's the result of doing that? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf, the life, does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The Bible, which is sufficient for knowing how to live the abundant life, life to the full, should be our delight day and night. So, life makes absolutely no sense apart from what the Bible teaches about life. In summary, verses 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy 3, the Bible is breathed out by God. It is profitable to teach us, reprove us, correct us, and train us for every good work. The Bible is truly sufficient. Now, in light of all this, and when we think about how blessed we are to have God's word and have it in abundance here in America, how can we not want to spend time with God and his word every day? And if you struggle to be in God's word daily, all you have to do is to look at the cross. Just look at the cross If you're in Christ, God has saved you from the eternal wrath in hell that you deserve, just like I deserve. Since he loves us so much to save us from what we so much deserve, how can we not so much want to spend time with God in his word and in prayer every day? Our number one priority every single day must be to spend time with our great God in his great word. Have a plan. Set aside a specific time each day where you will let nothing interfere with that time. And here's a super simple plan. If you're not used to reading the scripture regularly, daily, start in the gospel of John in the New Testament. Read one chapter a day. Write down one thing the chapter says about God. Write down one thing it tells you to do or not do and simply pray over it. We all can do that well. So thus far, we've clearly seen the connection between the Bible and life. We cannot biblically think about life apart from the Bible. And we cannot biblically think about our life apart from the Word. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24 which also speaks about the Bible and life. Here we're going to get more specific as to how to live a life for the glory of God in all areas of life according to God's sufficient word. We're also going to see God's method concerning how we change to become more like Jesus, which is the entire purpose of life and which is our greatest good. Actually, If we're living for any other purpose than to become more like Jesus for the glory of God, then sadly, we're not even living for the sole purpose for which we were created. And what a waste 
What a waste of precious life that is. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 describes for us what a wasted life looks like. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated of the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Verses 17 through 19 describe a life that is not lived for the glory of God. That is a life lived for the glory of self. That kind of life is not based on God's sufficient word. That kind of life is not based on the Bible and life. It's based on man's foolish wisdom and death. Look at how this life is described in verses 17 through 19. Futility of mind, darkened in understanding, alienated from the life of God, ignorant, hardness of heart, callous, given up to sensuality, given to practice every kind of impurity. This isn't just speaking of sexual purity. This is speaking of being impure in every area of life, in greed, in all kinds of different ways. What kind of life is that? It's the kind of life that I unfortunately lived for 28 years of my life. It's the kind of life in general of everyone who's not given their lives to Christ, has not trusted his death on the cross as full payment for their sins, and has not trusted in his glorious resurrection. It is a life not lived for the very purpose for which it was created. All things, all things are made or designed for a special purpose. A guitar is made to play music, especially the kind that I like. It's not made to sit around and collect dust. Believe it or not, a boat is made to be put in the water. It's not just to sit on land and you have to mow around it. Gift cards are meant to be spent, not just thrown in the drawer and ignored and wasted. And if you don't want your gift cards, give them to me because I will spend them. (laughs) Here we go. It's New Year's, right? Exercise equipment is actually made to be used for exercise, not as a clothes hanger. These things, like all things, were made for a special purpose. For those of us in Christ, we are not to live a life like that described in verses 17 through 19. God has set those of us in Christ apart for a special purpose. And that special purpose is to live for God's glory by becoming more like Christ. Look at what verses 20 and 21 say about the content of verses 17 through 19. But that is not the way you learn Christ assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Those who have learned Christ are to live the truth found in God's sufficient word. We're not to live the lies found in verses 17 through 19. Those who have come to know Christ came to know him because God gave them spiritual life when they heard the gospel. 
They gave their lives to Christ. They trusted that he is truly God and truly man, and that he died on the cross for their sins, and that he was raised from the dead. And those who have truly learned Christ know that repentance and faith are not just the beginning of the Christian life. Repentance and faith are the entire Christian life. The purpose of life, which is to glorify God, does not stop at conversion. The purpose of life, which is to glorify God by becoming more like Jesus, is a daily life of repentance and faith. Not in order to get saved again, which only happens once truly when a person is born again, but a daily life of repentance and a daily life of trusting in Christ. Dying to self and living for Jesus, that's the only place you can find true life. And praise God that he's not only told us that we need to change, he's also told us how to change. Verses 22 through 24 of Ephesians chapter 4 is God's plan for change. And guess what? We can't improve on God's plan. So why do we try? And here once again, we're going to see that the Bible and life go together. Ephesians 4, through 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In these verses and in other places in the Bible, we see that biblical change to become more like Jesus for the glory of God requires putting off deceitful desires and a corrupt manner of life and putting on a renewed mind and then godly behavior. Here we see that putting off or repentance and putting on faith are both required for biblical change, to become more like Christ for the glory of God. So, what are we to put off? Verse 22, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 22 says, we're to put off our old self, the old way of life, which includes sinful motivations, sinful thoughts, sinful words, and sinful actions. And yet we must go way deeper than that. We must dig to the root of our sinful motivations, sinful thoughts, sinful words, and sinful actions. And there we will find our deceitful desires. We will find our lusts, our idols of the heart. And the best way to dig down to the root is to simply ask ourselves, What am I trying to get? Or what am I wanting when I sin in this way? Or what am I trying to get? Or what am I wanting when I sin in that way? Are we trying to get acceptance or comfort or happiness or pleasure or security or whatever it is? And there's nothing wrong with wanting acceptance and comfort and pleasure and happiness and security. But if we sin to get those things, or if we sin when we do not get those things, 
then those things have become deceitful desires. They've become lusts. They've become idols of the heart. And yes, the deceitful desires spoken of in verse 22 could also refer to the outward sin. But the entire Bible clearly teaches us that everything flows from the heart. And some form of idolatry is always at the root of all sin, along with pride and unbelief and self. Now, we know what to put off. Put off the deceitful desires, put off the corrupt manner of life. But how do we do this? How do we put off these desires? How do we put off a corrupt manner of life? Verse 23 tells us, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. By the grace of God, our minds can be renewed according to what the Bible teaches. And this is not just referring to our thoughts alone. And it's definitely not referring to what the world would say about just just think positive, have some positive thoughts going on. This is referring not only to thinking, but our will and our desires, our entire heart. We see the same idea in Romans 12 too, where it says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Having our minds renewed requires knowing and trusting what the Bible teaches. Once again, we cannot biblically separate the Bible from our life. And as our hearts and our minds are renewed through God's Word, and as we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, as we read God's Word, we will put off deceitful desires. We will put off a corrupt manner of life. Why? Because we see that these things are against God's holy character. And because our Savior, Jesus, had to suffer and die for these things. And thus we will hate our sin. Whenever we have a true change of mind that takes place, there will be a true change in our lives. We must put off the deceitful desires and the corrupt manner of life. And when we do that, we'll become more like Jesus for the glory of God. We'll build new habits in our lives through putting off these things and renew our minds with truth found in the Word of God. This renewing of our minds obviously includes knowing what God commands us to do and what He commands us not to do. And if we're truly repentant in our hearts, we will stay away from anything that tempts us to sin. We won't play near the cliff. As verses 22 and 23 teach, we must put off, repent of anything in our lives that does not agree with God's word. Yet we must never just stop with putting off. If we stop with putting off, we will be nothing more than behaviorists and moralists and religious people. We must also put on 
The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that a thief does not stop being a thief just when he quits stealing. He stops being a thief when he quits stealing. He goes to work doing something useful with his hands, and he helps people in need. That's full biblical change. It includes not only putting off, but also putting on. Now let's look at what we are to put on. Verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what do we put on? Well, we must have our minds renewed, as verse 23 taught, right? Concerning not only what to put off, but also what to put on. Putting on includes trusting the right things about who God is. It's not just knowing the law of God, it's knowing who God is and putting on a truly righteous and holy life. So we know what to put on, but how do we put on? Throughout the Bible, we see that God tells us who he is and what he's done in redeeming us before he commands us to do this and to not do that. Even in the Old Testament, this is true. In the book of Exodus, Chapter 20, verse 1, before God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And then he said, here, do this stuff. Don't do that stuff. The book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, are all talking about how great God is and the gospel and the promises we have in Christ and what God has done in saving those who are in Christ. And then you come to chapter 12, verse 1, and here's what we read. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In view of everything you've read in chapters 1 through 11, now, live for me. Live a life of worship. And then chapters 12 through 16 is practical application of how to do that. The book of Ephesians, the same exact format, chapters 1 through 3, Talk about who God is, the gospel, the promises we have in Christ, and what he's done. Then chapters 4 through 6, in light of who I am and what I've done, here's how you live. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, As we behold the glory of God, we will be changed, we'll be transformed. And then 2 Corinthians 5.14 and 15 tell us that what makes us, what motivates us, why we would want to die to ourselves and to live for God is to focus on Jesus dying on the cross and his great love that compels us, constrains us, that we would want to live for him. Here's the point. We're going to look at Titus 2, 11 through 14 on the screen here. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, get this, who are zealous to do good works. What motivates our hearts to want to live for the glory of God? The grace of God. 
It's the grace of God, the love, the mercy, and grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's focusing on our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us, that makes us zealous to do good works. As our minds are renewed on the glory of God as seen in his attributes, his promises, and the gospel, we will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will put off deceitful desires in an ungodly life. And we will, in the power of the Holy Spirit, put on a life of true righteousness and holiness. So, we've looked at what to put off and what to put on. But how does this look practically, concretely? Well, let me walk through a very common example of what this would look like. And I'm going to use the the example of selfishness because all of you and I, we struggle with being selfish. And if you say you don't, you struggle with lying. And I'll have to give you two examples. So how do we change biblically? How do we change biblically when it comes to the sin of selfishness? Well, we've got to put it off. We've got to repent of it. We have to hate it. Because it's against God's holy character. And Jesus, our Savior, suffered and died for that sin. And we've got to put off. We've got to repent of the deceitful desires in the heart that are leading to the selfish thoughts, selfish words, and selfish actions. Whether that selfish desire is we're worshiping comfort, pleasure, Happiness, love, respect, security, whatever it is, whatever idol we're chasing after that leads us to act selfishly. We've got to renew our minds with truth from the Bible. We know that God commands us to not be selfish. We're commanded to serve him and to serve other people. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us love is not self-seeking. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Focusing on Jesus going to the cross selflessly will make us want to be selfless ourselves. And we've got to put on beholding God's glory. We've got to trust that God is our comfort. He's our joy. He's our security. His perfect love casts out all fear. We've never found true joy or comfort or happiness in being selfish. And we've got to put on specific, practical ways of serving people, whatever the situation calls for. This is God's plan for biblical change, for any sin struggle, any struggle to glorify God in our trials and suffering, decision-making, any area of life. We've got to put off not just the sinful thoughts, words, and actions, but the sinful desires at the root. We have to renew our minds by not only knowing the law of God and what he wants us to do and not do, we've got to renew our minds with focusing on how great God is, knowing who he is, what he's doing, what he has done, and what he will do. We must put on trusting in who God is and then put on godly thoughts godly words, and godly actions. Look at verse 24 with me as we close. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God 
in true righteousness and holiness. The purpose of life is to become more like Jesus for the glory of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, that Jesus is the image of God. He's the exact imprint. He is truly God, and he's truly man. And for those of us in Christ, the Bible says that we are new creations in Christ. And we can put on the new self as our minds are renewed through knowing the word of God and focusing on the glory of God. And as we do this, our lives will be transformed from one degree of glory to another after the image of our Lord. As both Ephesians and Colossians tell us, that image that we are being transformed into is one of true knowledge, true righteousness, and true holiness. We must not try to separate our life from the Bible or the Bible from our life. Amen? Lord God, we often take for granted how blessed we are to have your word. Probably everyone in this room has at least one Bible in their home. And Lord, for those of us who say we know you, how could we not want to spend time with you? And if we don't want to spend time with you in your word, we might want to question whether we really love you. Lord God, please help us be convinced that your word is sufficient for all of life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to, to put off and to put on for your glory. In Jesus' mighty and holy name we pray. Amen.